0: who God is. And we recognize that we are more restless today than maybe we ever have been, coming out of the pandemic and with so many other pressures in our lives. But Jesus says, and two weeks ago we looked at this passage, come to me and I will give you rest. That's what we long for and that's what we need. So today as we conclude our series, we're going to be looking at Psalm 131, which leads us into this promised rest. So let's pray before we open our Bibles. Dear God, as we come to the reading of your word, would you send your Holy Spirit so that we can understand Scripture, not only hearing it, but seeking to obey you through it. Jesus, give us your words of eternal life. Seal your truth and your grace upon our hearts today, we pray, amen. Psalm 131, and this is from the English Standard Version, not the translation we usually use, but a good one for today. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, now and always. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In May last year, I walked the Camino of Santiago, which, translated, is the Way of St. James. Since the 11th century, Christian pilgrims from all over the world have made their way across the north of Spain to the city of Santiago, where the Apostle James is said to have been buried. A pilgrim is simply someone who travels with a spiritual purpose. And I walked alone for eight hours a day, Not only did my pilgrimage force me to stop working, but I also experienced silence and solitude in a way that I never had before in my life. And what I found on the Camino was that my life became radically simplified. And after the first three or four hours of walking each day, my mind and my heart stopped circling back to all of its usual preoccupations. And I would start each day with a psalm, a psalm as simple as the one we just read. And it helped me, in a remarkable way, to pay closer attention to the presence of Jesus and to the world around me. I was tired, yes, my feet hurt, a lot. But... It was an amazing experience of Sabbath rest. Psalm 31 is one of the Psalms of Ascent, a group of 15 psalms towards the end of our book of Psalms, Psalms 120 to 134. Really a collection of 15 prayers that the people of Israel would sing together on the road as they traveled to Jerusalem as pilgrims, headed to the great Jewish worship festivals. Now you may not think of your life as a pilgrimage, but I wanna help you see today that you really are a kind of pilgrim. We are traveling a journey of faith together as a church. And you've come to this worship service or you've joined us online in a way as a form of weekly pilgrimage in order to remember who you are in Christ and to celebrate his resurrection and your life in him. Now, maybe you're not a Christian, and maybe you're here for other reasons. Well, then you can think of this worship service as an invitation to join the pilgrimage for a while, to come and see what this Jesus thing is all about. So we are pilgrims who come to worship God each week. In the same way, as Israel would have gone up to the temple in Jerusalem for those festivals. But the real point of pilgrimage is not the journey, it's not the destination, but it's the homecoming. Pilgrimage is a practice that brings faith home to your life. It is designed to make a difference for you personally, or really it's not worth much despite all the effort it might take. And so everything that happened in Jerusalem when these psalms of ascent were sung, everything that happened in the temple was meant to change and transform the way the Jewish people lived in ordinary time, in ordinary space, at home, in their fields, in their gardens, in their workshops, within their families, in their relationships with neighbours. Everything about their worship of God was to be pressed into their ordinary life, That's why they were on pilgrimage together. And that's what Sabbath is about too. It's for our good and for our transformation. These, we've called them unforced rhythms of grace. These rhythms guide us back onto the path of discipleship when we wander, when we forget, when we're distracted as we so often are. And we saw last time how in Matthew 11... Jesus defines discipleship as rest. He says, come to me and I will give you the rest you long for. I will not give you work. I will give you rest. This morning, we're going to look at what this psalm teaches us about contentment and rest. It says that these two things are closely related. Rest with God, rest in our relationships, rest in your ordinary life. But the big question, I think, for most of us, and I've gotten emails from many of you that make this clear, is how do we experience that rest in a world where things never seem to stop, where we are drawn into this hectic pace? The psalmist begins by telling us that his heart is not lifted up. And when there's a reference to heart here, he's telling us really about the dynamic of his own relationship with God. In Scripture, whenever you read this word heart, it's an invitation to think about the heart a certain way. Not a literal heart the way a cardiologist would read it. Not red hearts and romantic love as we might read it as we head into Valentine's Day. It's not about emotions and feelings, which we often associate with the heart. No, in scripture, Hebrew is, in the Hebrew scriptures, heart is a metaphor for whatever you're living your life for, for whatever your life is centered on. What is at the core of who you are? What's driving you? What's motivating you in the deep places of your life? So what is the psalmist telling us about his heart here? Well, when he says it's not lifted up, he's saying his heart is close to God. Most of all, he's inviting us to think about our posture in relationship to God. Are you facing God? Are you cultivating an awareness of the Lord? Are you listening to God? Are you taking steps so that that can happen more easily? Or are you in a place right now of practical disregard for God's presence? Are you proceeding without the awareness that He is with you, before you, behind you, alongside you? Are you humble with Him? Do you see yourself, your whole life, as depending on His love and goodness and ultimately on nothing else? The psalm is saying to us, is really trying to persuade us that our hearts are designed to be in sync with God. And the more you lift your heart up and move it away from where God is, the more you do that, the less you will have peace and contentment the more your heart will malfunction, if you want to think of it that way. The second thing we read in this short psalm, still in verse 1, is that the psalmist's eyes are not raised too high. During our staff meeting this past Tuesday, we meet in that room right at the back of the sanctuary. I noticed a hawk in one of the trees just out behind the church building. And all of us wanted to have a look and catch a glimpse. How often do you see a hawk that close? And we raised our eyes in that attempt. But what the psalmist is talking about is a different kind of raising the eyes. That was wonder. That was curiosity. This, what he's talking about here, is pride. And we use this language, don't we? We talk about looking down on other people. And so, if the direction of your eyes is downward, you learn something about a person who looks at others that way. You learn that they're superior, they think they're better. When you walk into a room for the first time, a room full of people, how do you see them? A room where maybe you know some people, you don't know others. How do you sort the people out? How do you decide how you relate to them? Can you rest in a moment like that? In a room like this with so many people? Or are you more restless? Are you looking to have your own needs met first? Are you able to serve in a room full of people? to quiet your soul, to notice others. You can think about social media in this same way. You can read a book, you can watch a movie, and it comes to an end. There is an end point, a final page. But Instagram never ends, Facebook never ends, Twitter never ends. They're designed to make you restless, to lead you to compare yourself to others and to keep doing that. How do we put limits on ourselves as we pursue Sabbath? Limits that lead us to this calmness, this quietness our souls crave. Whether you're in the workplace or you're in school or you're in retirement right now, it's often the case that we're tempted to compare ourselves to others, maybe a fellow student or a co-worker of yours. Who is most successful? Who's working hardest? Who do you think isn't pulling their weight? Who's getting recognition for their work? Who's getting paid more? Who's getting better grades? These things can divide us. They can leave us resentful. Again, in this, we are restless. Our eyes are lifted up, raised up. And the psalmist moves on in the next verse to talk about not being preoccupied with greatness or with things too marvelous for himself. Again, he's saying here what he's not doing, limits, ways he's stopped, He's not saying you shouldn't have ambitions, you shouldn't have goals and dreams. He's not saying always stay the same, don't get better. When he talks about not being preoccupied with greatness, I think he's talking about resting in our ordinary lives. How can you find satisfaction in your work, in your studies? What is the purpose of your retirement? Where is the meaning to it? How do you figure out your identity and what's, what God's calling you to at every stage of your life? Are you discontent in your circumstances today? Do you wish you had a greatness that God has not, in fact, given you? Or can you get to a point where what you see in God's provision is sufficient? is even His greatness for you on the scale He intends you to enjoy, even when it's hard. Can you thank God for that portion and focus on the faithfulness He asks us to pursue in your life in the light of His truer and ultimate greatness? I think the psalmist is telling us as we don't do these things as we don't get beyond what God has given us we will be drawn into his rest that's the picture we're meant to be moving towards here as pilgrims your friendships your responsibilities your family roles you're a son your daughter your brother a sister a parent a grandparent you're a friend to others. Your job, your vocation, your education, your interests. Do you know that God has given you all these things? That is the space of the greatness that God wants for you. The prophet Micah says that the Lord has shown us what is good and he requires only that we act with justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. That's a picture of a pilgrim walking through life, receiving grace from God at rest. If you read this psalm in your Bibles, at the outset it says that this is a psalm of King David. And sometimes we quickly rush past that kind of thing. But really, that's saying that this psalm comes from the most important person you can imagine. This is a psalm written by someone who has made it in the world. And we, when we think about a person like that, someone like King David, we might say, well, of course, you're not preoccupied with great things. easy for you to say because you've got some pretty great things already. You're rich, you're powerful, you're the king. That's not where I'm at. Except if you know the story of David's life, it tells a different tale. He did lift up his heart. He did raise his eyes to look at a woman who was married to another man. He wanted her and he killed her husband to get her. The person who lives life driven by their ambition, always looking up, scanning the horizon for the next thing, always wanting more, that person is never satisfied. They are forever restless. But David says here, this is wisdom for all of us, for kings and for everyone else. He says in the final verse of this psalm, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. This is for all of us. Don't lift up your hearts. Don't raise your eyes. Can you imagine the freedom, the delight even, of living in a community, in a world where people enjoy rest like that, like that, that rest that is filled with hope, where people can be content like that? That is where this psalm wants to lead us. But how do we get there in our experience? The answer comes in verse 2. The power for rest, the secret about rest, is not the progress you've made. It's not your success in life, the plans you've got. It's not next weekend or the vacation you see down the road or whatever you might put your hope in or be tempted to. True rest only comes through your relationship with God. Look at what the psalmist says, I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child, like a weaned child is my soul within me. This is an image that I find remarkable. The psalmist invites us to imagine a new world, a new life, resting with God using this picture. And in the picture, you have a contrast between a child that still needs its mother's milk, wants it, cries out for it, and a child that has been weaned from its mother's breast. Now, in that society, in the ancient Near East, women nursed out in the open all the time, and everyone would have known what he was talking about. So he invites us to consider that moment when a child no longer views its mother as a means to an end, as something like a milk machine. It's a moment when the child moves past screaming for its needs to be met and enters into a beautiful dependency, an ease and a comfort with its mother. And then he says, now picture yourself in that moment. And the psalm, in its shortness, in its beauty, is designed, I think, for us to learn, for us to settle into, for us to experience, to put ourselves in that place, to think about God in that way, to receive his peace, to trust him like a a weaned child. like a wean child <laughs> It's going so well preaching on peace <laughs> like a wean child that rests with its mother So what what brought you here this morning? When you got out of bed today, those of you who are here in the room, most of you at home probably did too. When you made what I'm calling a pilgrimage to this building to worship in the gathering of God's people that we call Courtright Church, What did you come for? Who did you come to see? I think we struggle at times with the whole idea of God. Maybe we aren't willing to admit it. But at times, at least, we see God as remote from our everyday lives as distant, even as unconcerned. But the Bible tells us, reminds us over and over again, that God wants to come close, that God has come close. And that's what this picture of a weaned child with its mother reassures us about. It plants that hope in our hearts, that God is present, that God is with us. And as Christians, we believe that God has come closest in Jesus Christ. So try something with me. Could you imagine the words of this psalm on the lips of Jesus? He went to Jerusalem too. He was among those pilgrims. He would have sung these psalms of ascent along with the rest of them. Imagine Jesus saying, My heart is not lifted up. Jesus saying those words about his relationship with his father. He could say them with complete integrity. And then the next phrase, My eyes are not raised too high. Jesus lived that out perfectly he gave himself to everyone equally, to the powerful and the powerless. He welcomed all people in, he turned no one away. My mind is not occupied with greatness. When I read that and imagine it on Jesus' lips, I think of how Paul describes Jesus in Philippians 2. I think of this description of God, the uniqueness of the Christian message, that Jesus, even though he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus was a pilgrim too. And as we've heard that reading from Philippians 2, now I invite you to think of the last pilgrimage Jesus ever went on. At that Passover in Jerusalem, Jesus could have done so many things with his greatness. But most of all, he wanted to wash the feet of his disciples. Jesus was great like no person has ever been great. We sang it, right? He is worthy of it all. But he used his worthiness, his power, to put himself in the lowest place. He washes our feet still today. On that occasion, after Passover in Jerusalem, he went to the cross for us. He took all of our restlessness, all of our striving, all of our discontent, all of our sin, he took it on himself. He laid down his life so that we could rest in his grace and come home to our Heavenly Father. That is the deep Sabbath rest that God offers us. Like a weaned child is my soul within me, writes the psalmist. All of us can be restless and demanding children at any age, But if we resolve to put that self-centered life behind us, if we stop clamoring for attention and parading our own importance, God promises that he will calm us and quiet us so that we can truly be ourselves, not some image of ourselves we want to project, and so that we can truly be with the one who has made us who we are and who invites us deeper into that experience of being his son, his daughter. That's where we receive grace and forgiveness. God's rest comes as a gift to us. But the writer of the psalm also says that he has quieted his soul. It's active. It's an effort he's made. I think we might prefer to think of the peace of God as a feeling, as something that happens easily, naturally. But the reality is it takes discipline on the one hand, the deep Sabbath rest we have in Christ is by grace alone. On the other hand, we realize it as we practice it together. Earlier in this series, I invited you to share your experiences of Sabbath, and I held out the promise of some free books, some of my favorite books. And I was going to announce the winners today and have them come up, but Judith said, my wife Judith said, it's a worship service, it's not The Price is Right. LAUGHTER Over the years there've been many potential like left turns, <laughs> right turns that that woman has silently prevented. <laughs> but but I was grateful. <laughs> I was grateful. The first time I invited you to share those experiences with me, I got one email. And then I offered free books. So, I'm just saying it worked. I got numerous emails from you, and I haven't had the chance to acknowledge them all and reply to them, but I thank you for them. And one person wrote, I know that in the spirit of Sabbath, I should not work on Sunday. I should take my dog for a walk in the sunshine, spend time with my family, and read. But I have meals to make for the kids. Do I need to put aside my food work for today, trusting that God will help me get it done on Monday and Tuesday, despite how busy I'm going to be? I wrestle and struggle with what to do. Another person wrote, I had always understood Sabbath as a command to rest in order to be more productive. And so I was encouraged to see Sabbath as a way to reflect on my life and what I have accomplished and the freedom that I have in Jesus. To see the hope we have in Christ as a gift and not a reward. Someone else wrote, I've come a long way from not being allowed to go swimming or play cards and feeling like it wasn't a great Sunday if I hadn't gone to church twice, plus Sunday school. My best Sabbath now includes listening to praise music and hymns. What a gift God gave me in Spotify. Often my Sabbath rest develops into a Sabbath nap and a call with one of my kids or grandkids. I've been able to enjoy being hospitable to friends in by holding potlucks, or to my new neighbors, having them over for tea or soup and sandwiches, a simple meal. I certainly feel it if I haven't made my Sunday a Sabbath, because as a result, I can never remember what day of the week it is, as it acts as the cornerstone of my week. Others of you wrote about going for a run on Sunday, going hiking, creating art, having lunch with friends, and intentionally, prayerfully coming up with questions to ask them. And this is the final example I'll share. Someone who just started watching our live stream from Stratford wrote, so far my faith journey has been striving continuously, but never feeling adequate. But you have taught me that it is not by continuously trying to improve and do things better that we find God. It is in the simple act of saying, let me come now to you, Jesus. Let me leave everything else just for a little while and be close to you. Teach me how to enjoy your presence and be more like you. Wow. That's what she wrote, but I'm saying wow too. (laughs) So I trust that these conversations about Sabbath will continue. You heard in the announcements we have a small group starting up that's going to read a book that's about Sabbath, um, But I'm going to take that prayer that someone in Stratford, I don't have her permission to name her, so I won't, sent me, and I'm going to pray for all of us now. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, let us come to you. Enable us to leave everything else just for a little while and be close to you. Teach us how to enjoy your presence and be more like you. Amen.